Microsoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Mildred and Elsie, Episode 11 Mother, he seems to imply that I am not likely to hear from him again for years, Mildred remarked, half in assertion, half as asking her mother's understanding of the drift of young Landreth's communication. Yes, I think so, Mrs. Keith responded in gentle, pitying tones, then more brightly and cheerily. But perhaps, dear, that certainly is better, will be less trying than a constantly disappointed looking for a of letters. Mildred gave a silent assent, while a tear rolled quickly down her cheek. She dashed it hastily aside. Mother, dearest mother, you must help me to be brave and cheerful, not letting this disappointment and anxiety spoil my life and make me a burden to myself and others, she whispered tremulously, laying her head on her mother's pillow and gazing lovingly but through gathering tears into those dear eyes. I will, my poor darling, returned Mrs. Keith in moved tones, putting an arm about her daughter's neck and drawing her closer till cheek rested against cheek, and there is one who with all power at his command, and loving you even more tenderly than your mother does, will give you such help and consolation in this sore trial as she cannot give. I know it, I am sure of it, murmured Mildred, I can trust him for myself though the way looks dark and dreary. But, oh, mother, it is not so easy to trust for Charlie. Perhaps, dear, that is one reason why this trial sent you. Trust for our dear ones as well as for ourselves is a lesson we all need to learn. And to teach me patience, which is another lesson I greatly need and am very slow to learn, sighed Mildred. The trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work. Oh, shall I ever be able to do that? Yes, at last, I am assured of it, being confident of this very thing, that he who hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us and trusting in him, living near to him, in the light of his countenance, we may have, we shall have great joy and peace in spite of tribulations. And those I know, know all must have in one way or another, said Mildred a little sadly, because we are told in Acts, we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And Jesus told his disciples, in the world ye shall have tribulation. But he added, Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world, Mrs. Keith said with emotion, a joyous light shining in her eyes. Mother, said Mildred, I once heard the assertion that God's people were peculiarly marked out for trouble and trial in this world, that they must expect to have more than was allotted to others. Do you think that is true? No, I find no such teaching in Scripture, nor has experience of life taught it to me. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, 
but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. O fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. Godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. The Bible is full of the blessedness of those who fear and trust the Lord. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth, quoted Mildred, doubtfully. Ah, yes, the afflictions of the righteous are the loving dis- discipline of a tender father, while upon the incorrigible wicked he pours out his fury in judgments that bring no healing to their souls, only retribution for the sins unrepented of him. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fair, and brimstone, and an horrible tempest, this shall be the portion of their cup. The door opened softly, and Ada looked cautiously in. That is right, dear, Mrs. Keith said, greeting the child with a loving smile. Come in and give mother a kiss. The pain is quite gone, and I am going to get up now and dress for tea. Don't, mother, unless you feel quite, quite strong and well, the little girl entreated, receiving and returning a tender caress. I'm so glad you are better. Oh, it isn't nice to have to do without mother, though I'm sure Millie has tried her very best to fill your place. I wouldn't have come here because I was afraid of disturbing you, but there's a boy downstairs asking if Millie will go and watch tonight with a sick woman, Mrs. Martin, Claudina Chetwood's to watch. But there ought to be two, he says, and they don't know of anybody else for tonight. She's been sick so long that most everybody is worn out. Professional nurses were unknown in the town, and in time of sickness the only dependence for needed attention outside of the sufferer's own family was upon the kindness of neighbors, and as a rule they were exceeding kind. Mrs. Martin's health had been declining for many months. For weeks she had been confined to bed in a, in a condition to need constant watching and waiting upon. The Keiths had scarcely a speaking acquaintance with her, but that made no difference when help was needed. "'Do you feel equal to the task, Mildred?' asked her mother. "'I shall be sorry to have you lose your night's rest, but you can make up it up tomorrow. "'I'm not likely to have a return to the, of the headache, and when I am to the fore, you can be spared, you know,' she added sp- sportively and with a world of motherly pride and affection in the look she bent upon her firstborn. "'Yes, mother, it will not hurt me, and I can't hesitate when duty seems so plain.' Mildred answered cheerfully. How soon do they want me, Ada? He says about nine o'clock. Mrs. Pryor is going to stay till then. I'll go down and tell him that they may expect you. And with the last word, Ada left the room. Mrs. Keith had left the bed for a low seat before her Tuliet table, and Mildred was softly brushing out and arranging her still beautiful and abundant hair, very tenderly careful lest too rude a touch should cause a return of the torturing pain. "'Poor, poor woman,' sighed Mrs. Keith, thinking of Mrs. Martin. "'Is she considered very dangerously ill, mother?' asked Mildred. "'Mrs. Pryor was telling me about her yesterday,' Mrs. Keith answered. "'Dr. Grange says she has not long to live, but worst of all, Millie, she is dying without hope.' "'Oh, mother, how terrible! And has no one tried to lead her to Jesus?' Has no one told her of his great love and his power and willingness to save?' 
Yes, months ago, while she was still up and about her house, Mrs. Pryor and others tried to talk to her about her soul's salvation, but she refused to listen, angrily telling them she was too weak to trouble herself with trying to think on that subject now, and must wait until she grew stronger, and all the time growing weaker and weaker. My child, I'm glad you are to be with her tonight, for who knows, but you may find a fitting moment in which you may speak a word that God may bless to the saving of her soul. How glad I should be to do it, Mildred answered with emotion, but I am so young and foolish and ignorant. Mother, how can I hope to succeed where older and wiser people have failed? Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hostess. He often works by the feeblest instrumentalities, and may see fit to use even you, my dear girl. Ask his help and his blessing upon your effort remembering his promise. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. I will watch for an opportunity, and you will help me with your prayers, mother. You may be sure of that, dear child. But, O oh, mother, how very much better you could speak to her than I. I doubt it, Millie, for the work must be of God, or it will come to naught and he can as e readily make use of your mind and tongue as of mine. Don't rely on yourself. Don't forget that you are only an instrument. In spite of a very honest and earnest determination to be cheerful under this new trial of her faith and patience, and to bear her own burden according to the scriptural command, Mildred seemed to her father a little sad-eyed and paler than her wont as he looked at her across the tea-table. My child, he said, I hear you are expecting to watch with the sick tonight, but really I am afraid you are not able to do so. You do not look well. Appearances are, are sometimes deceitful, you know, father, she returned, with an effort to be bright and lively. I am quite well, and if fatigued tonight, can rest and sleep tomorrow. Well, he said, only half convinced, lie down until it is time for you to go. Yes, Mildred, if you can get an hour or two of sleep before your watch begins, it will be a great help, said her mother. We will call you at nine. Half past eight, if you please, mother. I want to be there in time to ask directions of Mrs. Pryor before she leaves. Mildred was not sorry to seek the quiet and solitude of her own room, but she scarcely slept. She seemed to have but just fallen into a doze when Rupert knocked at her door to say that it wanted but ten minutes of the time she had set for starting, and he was ready to see her to her destination. I'm glad you came early, was Mrs. Pryor's greeting, for indeed I ought to be at home seeing to things there. They're pretty sure to go at sixes and sevens when I'm away, and even if my boarders don't growl about it, tain't treating them exactly fair. But I'll not leave you alone with her. Claudina will be here directly, and I'll stay till she comes. Oh, thank you, Mildred said. I shouldn't like it to be left alone with anyone who is so ill, and I should need to be told just what I'm to do. How is she now? Can't last much longer, poor thing, Mrs. Pryor returned with a sad shake of the head. She's dreadful weak and short of breath and awful afraid to go. Dear, dear, to think of anybody putting off preparation to the last minute when they know they've got to die and after that the judgment and she won't allow a minister to come into the house, or let anybody say a word to her about her soul. Several has tried, I have myself, but it's no use. Perhaps if she'd been approached in the right way at first, it might have been different. Damaris Drybread was the first. 
I believe, to say anything to her, and between you and me, though Damaris means well, she's not always overwise in her way of doing what she considers her duty. But there, I must run back to her. She oughtn't to be left alone a minute. Come into the sitting-room and take off your things. The door into the next room, where the invalid lay, was open, and Mildred could hear her moaning and complaining in hollow, despairing tones, Mrs. Pryor answering in cheerful, soothing accents. Presently, Mrs. Pryor stepped back to the door and beckoned Mildred in. "'This is Miss Keith, Mrs. Martin,' she said. "'She and Miss Chetwood would, will watch with you tonight and do all they can. "'You're all very kind. I know you'd help me if you, you could, "'but nobody can give me a minute's ease, and nobody knows what I have to suffer,' moaned the sick woman, "'gazing piteously into the fresh young face, bending over her.' Mildred's eyes filled with tears, and she opened her lips to speak, but was stopped by a hasty exclamation. "'Hush! Don't say a word! Don't talk to me! Don't ask me any questions! I won't hear it! I can't bear it! I'm too weak!' "'I can only pray for her,' was Mildred's thought, as she turned sorrowfully away and hastened to the outer door, where someone had rapped lightly. It was Claudina, and after giving them the necessary instructions, Mrs. Pryor left them to their melancholy duty. As there was not much more to be done than one could easily attend to, she had advised them to take turns in watching and sleeping. There was a lounge in the sitting-room, where one might rest very comfortably. Claudina stretched herself on it, and almost immediately fell asleep, Mildred having chosen the first watch. The latter established herself in the sick-room in an armchair by the bedside. She had brought a book, but the night-lamp did not give sufficient light for reading. The invalid slept fitfully, tossing, moaning, and sighing in her sleep, and still more during her moments of wakefulness. Mildred had never felt wider awake, so strangely, fearfully solemn it seemed to sit there alone, waiting the coming of the angel of death to one who shuddered and shrank at his approach. Again and again, while the dying woman slept, her watcher knelt by the bedside and poured out fervent, though silent, petitions on her behalf. And for Charlie, too, for her thoughts were full of him as well. And, oh, at that moment it seemed a small matter that they might never meet on earth. Could she only have the blessed assurance that eternity would unite them in another and better world? "'What's that you're doing?' asked the patient, waking suddenly. "'Oh, I'm in awful distress. Rub me with some of that liniment, won't you?' Mildred complied, doing her best to give relief to the physical suffering, and crying mightily in her heart to the great physician for the healing of the sin-sick soul. Oh, the distress and anguish in those hollow sunken eyes, and expressed in every liniment of the wasted features. The bony hand cl clutched wildly at Mildred's dress, and drew her down close, while the pale lips gasped. I'm dying, and I'm not prepared, but I can't think. I'm too weak. I must wait till I get stronger. Oh, no, no, come now to Jesus. He waits with open arms to receive you, cried Mildred, the tears coursing fast down her cheeks. He died to save you, and he is able and willing to save to the uttermost all who come to him. Come now. Mildred herself growing very weary, and the hands of the clock pointed to a half-hour past the set time for her vigil. She stole softly into the next room, roused Claudina, and took her place. Her last thought as she fell into a dreamless slumber was a prayer for the two for whom she had been so importunately pleading. She had not slept more than a moment when a hand was laid on her shoulder, and Claudina's voice trembling with fright said, Mildred, Mildred, oh Mildred, she's gone. Who? Asked, she asked, starting up, only half awake. 
Mrs. Martin, I was rubbing her, and turned her head, gasped once, and was gone. Claudina shuddered and hid her face. Oh, Mildred, she whispered, those words of our Savior are ringing in my ears. What shall profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? As a girl, her head was full of dress and youths, and having a good time as a married woman, keeping the best table, the nearest, neatest house, and helping her husband to get on in the world. She had no time to think about her soul till sickness came. Then she said she was too weak. She must wait till grow stronger. They clasped each other's hands and wept silently. Presently there was a sound of someone moving about the kitchen. The girl's up, said Claudina, rising from her kneeling posture beside the lounge. I'll go and tell her, and she'll let Mr. Martin know. Oh, the poor motherless baby. She left the room, and Mildred, starting up, saw through the crack at the side of the window blind that the sun had risen, and Mrs. Pryor was at the door, come to inquire how the sick woman was. Through the sweet morning air, pure and bracing, after yesterday's showers, Mildred walked home full of solemn, anxious thoughts. Charlie was a wanderer, she knew not whither, his absorbing desire and anxiety to retrieve his broken fortunes. Oh, that he would seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Henceforward that should be the burden of her prayer for him, for herself, for all her dear ones. Then her heart was filled with a great thankfulness for the spared lives of all these. Thank you for listening to another episode of Acresoft Story Classic.